Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome to another episode of the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM, CITR CA Online. Broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower. If you're listening to this show on the podcast, this is episode 202. I don't know what we're going to talk about this week. It's been such a quiet week, so (laughs) I think... Two hours to fill, probably just end up talking about Twin Peaks, maybe tonight's Money in the Bank, WWE. Can't really think of any any big football talking points, can you? Um, here and there. I think we were busy a little bit this week with news. Well, it has been a very difficult week in Whitecaps land. And in Canadian football land. Yeah, and well... Started out nicely. Yeah, I mean, we, we did our podcast on Thursday and we... We looked at the training center. That that was a positive, at least. It was recorded, I think, on we recorded Wednesday. It on Wednesday. Wednesday, we released it on Thursday, and that time, yeah, right at that time, it was not too bad. Yeah, we just had it, one incident at that time. Yeah, and the, the two days after that is where it's got a little bit tricky. And we'll we'll start off. We'll we'll address the elephant in the room. There's no way we cannot talk about what has been a bad couple of days for the Whitecaps off the pitch. Now, we tweeted this out. On AFTN, we're not going to write any articles about the residency incident or the Sharon Williams incident until the judicial system has taken its course and all the facts are known. And I really would recommend or implore people to kind of wait a little bit until you get some facts without jumping to speculation. Obviously, the internet is the internet. But there, there's been a lot written already on message boards, on Facebook, on Twitter, and in articles about the incidents. And we have a lot to say about it. I have a lot of feelings about it. I want to wait until justice takes its course before we go into all the details with it. There are some things, though, that we do have to mention. That the residency incident, first of all, Obviously, minors are involved in that, so you have to really be careful in in what you say about such things. But depending on what happens, depending on what the courts find, the, the one thing I feel the club has to do coming out of this is address parents' fears 
whether these charges are proven or not, but to address parents' fears, especially parents of out-of-province kids, that the residency environment is a safe place for the children to come and for children to take part in football activities and a safe dressing room experience. Uh, well, one thing I can mention, and I did tweet something out, and I and I do, I think what I should say again, I mentioned in the tweet, if these are proven true, this is what should happen. And I think people are forgetting that. That I know the accusations are out there. People have been arrested. People have been arrested before for things, and it has, they've been found innocent. So wait the time. You're right. Like don't, especially people with with, with victims involved. Don't start speculating and putting out there who the victims are and who, who you know, what should happen to who. Let the, everything work itself out. And yeah. it's important to do that because uh, people, the the victims need their time. The people who are accused of these crimes need their time to figure out, like, you know, if they're, what what, what should happen to them. So it's it's about time right now. And, just the, and the other thing about the, I kind of spent some time after the residency stuff talked to some people that I know from previous years and to a T obviously you have to take this with a grain of salt too because but I, I told them anonymity no, nobody's gonna be mentioned but to a T they said that nothing like this has ever happened there's been harmless pranks where you throw water on each other uh dump like you know the birthday stuff that white caps do uh the ice ice bucket things, whatever yeah. um you do that kind of stuff but nothing to this extent and so and they've in a lot of the even the older guys have heard said they've never heard of this stuff because they keep in touch well, with what's going on yeah. in, in the stuff too. It's a pretty close-knit family. So um, that's what I've heard. So Zach, your, your thoughts? I think Michael makes a really important point in terms of when you when you are entrusted with someone's children, it doesn't matter how old they are and when they're minors, that is a pretty sacred trust. And um, when that gets broken – intentional whether it's by adults or by other children when there's there's questions about the safety of it like yeah there's there's healing that will need to take place for sure and um like it, but even what you mentioned michael about like re whatever happens reaffirming or creating or recreating a culture of safety or whatever whatever i don't know if that's even the right way to talk about it but like I'm just thinking, like Tuesday, we have our U18s who are traveling on, you know, to yeah, U16s, U18s heading to yeah, Indiana. Yeah, sorry, for they're the both playoffs. going. Yeah, like I, I can imagine that a lot of effort is being put in to reassure the, you know, those parents and those families that the, you know, extra measures are being taken to make sure that everyone is safe and yeah, it, it's a. As someone who as someone who works with with minors, yeah, this is uh, this is not uh, this is hard to hear. This is hard yeah. to like hear about and to like like conceptualize. Yeah. And I can and I can imagine, you know, whether so we don't want to talk about ifs or whatever. But I can imagine how difficult this is for the adults who are involved over all of this. Like I, like I'm, I'm, I, like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm panicked like right like always hearing about these things because zach you you have a young kid my kid's uh, 11 now getting close to high school 
So I'm like so stressed out about what's gonna, what's happening in the school, constantly asking him questions because you hear about all these stories. So yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's stressful to hear about this kind of stuff happening. And the thing is, there's been a number of allegations made. The, the victim's mother has been on Global, made a lot of allegations against the Whitecaps. Now, people have said to us, will you, will you talk about what the, the mother said about the Whitecaps trying to cover it up, blah, blah, blah. Now, if that comes to light and the Whitecaps comment on it, we'll comment on it. We've got our opinions on it from what we've heard her saying. But just now, this is her giving her side of the story. The Whitecaps are refusing to comment on it because it's a matter in front of the courts. And you could say that's like a bit of a whitewash or whatever, but that basically they're, they're keeping everything right because they can't say anything when a thing is up in court. The Shane Williams things as well, there nobody knows exactly what's happened with that. He's going to be in court on Monday. Um, some more things may come out on Monday, but Robbo didn't really want to talk too much about it. Our thoughts, the club's thoughts, everyone's thoughts are, are with the, the victims and all parties in this just now. It's a difficult time for the club. It's a difficult time for the, the victims, just everyone involved, everyone that knows the people is affected in some way. I, I do also just want to reiterate, like, w- similar to what Steve said, I, I, I had an opportunity to talk to a former residency pl- player this week face-to-face and said, hey... What was your experience? Is this, has anything crazy happen? Anything inappropriate happen in your time? What did that look like for you? And it was very similar to what Steve said, that nothing, nothing inappropriate. Yeah, there were nothing, nothing hazing-ish, nothing, nothing like that. And nothing obviously like this has ever happened, never happened in their time or for them that they ever heard of from others before or after them. Yeah. The, the last thing we'll say on it is just, Urging people, please do not overreact. Do not draw conclusions before facts are known. Wait till everything comes out. Once everything comes out, we have a lot to say about it. Trust us. We There's things we've heard over the years as well, not to this extent. There's a whole thing mm. to look at about club culture. That's all for down the line once justice has taken its course. Now, Shane and Williams, his absence, of course, hit the team. It meant there was a, a player suspended and it hasn't been a good week off the pitch in terms of injuries as well because there are two Costa Ricans and we kind of joked a little bit about it in the, the podcast mis- midweek but Christian Belanius and Kendall Waston have come back from international duty, both injured. Kendall Waston looks to be four to six weeks. They're saying it's a muscle strain, could be a hip injury. Christian Belanius... I was at training on Friday. He was running around fine. He was kicking the ball. Everything looked good. He was favouring his shoulder a little bit. Concerning reports coming out in Costa Rican newspapers though over the weekend that there are concerns that he may not be available for the World Cup qualifier in September. Now, looking at him running around, it didn't look like that, but the report there mentioned the fact that the Whitecaps are looking at this new kind of treatment that's been used in NFL players to try and avoid surgery. Either way, losing these two guys, compounded with the players that we've lost already, big, big worry for the Whitecaps going into the summer. Yeah, and, and that, that, is our, that is our general approach. Uh, and this is probably a longer conversation for either later tonight or another time. But that is the uh, we've talked about it a little bit. This is yeah. this is uh, Rick Celebrini's approach to things, and Rick is um, 
they, they basically they want surgery as a last resort, yeah. which is understandable, understandable as well. Yeah. And then you also have the situation Kakutamani's back in a boot. <laughs> that that was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but injuries. Uh, one of the AFT and writers, Chris Corrigan, Salish C86 on Twitter, had tweeted out a pretty good starting lineup the of injured players or players that were absent. That was including Light Abini, who made his MLS debut in the game against Dallas on Saturday. But it was a it was a good lineup. You could easily go three five two with it. Four four two if you include absent players with with Shane and Williams. So it's kind of worrying how much talent is missing from the Whitecaps just now. And then of course they headed into the game on Saturday. We are actually finally going to talk about football matters. They headed into the game on Saturday against FC Dallas, one of the top teams in the West, back to back Western Conference champions. And of all the kind of games you wouldn't want to go into face a top team when you're having the week that they've had, missing top players. And it was a it was a strangely subdued first half against Dallas. Yeah, both teams seem to be going they, they seem to going and have no problems going up and down the pitch. But um I think it was an issue once they got to the attacking third, they neither team knew what they were doing. Um, yeah. they, they got one or I think one team they each got one chance especially with the long balls but uh, when it came to like creating something it was like there was nothing there at all watching the game back on the PVR I yeah I, every, I mean everyone in the stadium was like yeah that was not a good half <laughs> was not a good half uh, of football period not, not just for the, for yeah. the Whitecaps but in, in general and yeah watching it back on the PVR yeah it was, it was there was not a lot of free free flowing football one one of the things I think as I was watching it is it felt like it was uh, one of the one of the the key things that didn't happen I guess or one of the maybe people who underperformed the first half a little bit it was was Tony it was Tony Chani because when you look at sure. you look, he gave away the ball a lot no but not the give actually I'm not worried or that's not what I was focusing yeah, on okay. as I was watching it he actually had the chance to be the difference maker in terms of the offense yeah. in, in the first half. There was the play where, uh, I can't remember what, what time it was now, but there was a play where uh, early, in the, early in the half, uh, I think the keeper gave it away. or uh, Anyways, he, he received the ball with the keeper way off his line. Yes. And he uh, was both, uh, it was like almost like Portis, unfortunate decision-making, which was followed well, by the crowd were going shoot shoot which, yeah which, which was yeah. followed by poor technique because his touch let him down and I think because maybe he was in two minds do I hit it first time do I control it really he just he needed to just stop it and and chip from distance um, and instead he took this heavy touch that then totally the opportunity was gone but that was at least I would call a half chance for us to take the lead. Then later, uh, I think it was after that, later in the half, he had the chance at, at a through ball to Breckshea. Yeah, for me, that's the one that stands out yeah, as the yeah. worst. Yeah, and again, the the technique was a little bit off, and the precision was definitely off. And to me, you know, yeah, you look at the half, and you're, you're playing Dallas, who like, we'll talk about a little bit more later, but uh, we we had the, we had the chance to to turn a not so great disjointed kind of half into something that could have been. You know, we could have been on the front foot more than once. And they were, again, they weren't like complete plays, but there were moments where had our had our ability, our technique been a little bit more on point or our decision-making being a little bit quicker, we, we could have uh, easily have, have taken the lead. I mean, the, the thing with Shani, and but we'll talk about this now. 
Chani, for me, is a guy, and it's hard not to look at the ticket that he's on. I really try not to look at players' wages when, I, when you're forming opinions because it means nothing in the grand scheme of things. But he's been brought in to make a difference to the team. And his first game, he came on, it looked like it was great. The, the formation that they've played, it's allowed Laba to concentrate more on his defensive side of the game. But if Chani's going to be the guy in those positions, he has to be so much more clinical and so much more just better delivery all round and Freddie Montero again was on an island for pretty much the whole half and the half came to an end there was no goals and everyone at half time that we were talking to was just saying what a dire first half it was and it was kind of hard to imagine that it was going to to kind of spring into life but then seven minutes in the game completely changed because Maxi Aruti, fantastic piece of individual play, and we can talk about what led to that in a sec, but fantastic piece of individual play from the, the Argentine. Dispossessing Laba, running on goal, great finish. You, you can point fingers at a lot of guys, which I'm sure we'll, we'll do in a second, but for Aruti, that's what the Whitecaps are needing, a guy that can go and make that happen. And right now... Apart from set pieces, we do not have a guy in open play that is making that kind of stuff happen. But we talked about that. That's not the kind of striker we brought in. That's not, no, that's not that, who he that's, is. That's, that's not, not what, what Freddie does, no. no. Um, can we break down the goal? Is that, yeah, is that okay? Let's break it down the way that the Whitecats were broken down for it. Oh, okay. So if you want to talk about the stuff that happened before, I'm okay. But for me, with a moment, uh, Max, Max, Maxi? Maxi Packer. Maxi, 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 Maxi Rudy. The moment he takes the ball from his fellow countryman, Matias Laba. Okay, so obviously Laba's going to be disappointed in that. Poor first can, well, touch control by Laba when, when he had the ball initially anyway. Right. So Yuridi takes the ball and then uh, chooses to go basically straight at goal or the inside left channel towards goal. And then we see, so Laba's error or poor touch or whatever is kind of the initiating thing that error on the play then what you what we had happen was as uh, as as you rudy goes in the inside left channel that's where aj is playing center back uh for this game in place of kendall waston he for he when you watch it the first time i was like why is he not challenging why is he not stepping up so i watched it again a, a couple times or whatever and i think what happened was aj holds back because um tesho is making a run in the middle and I think initially AJ had Tesho or thought he had Tesho. And I think he thought if I step up, Yerudi's just going to play Tesho right through the middle. What he didn't know or didn't recognize or didn't wasn't communicated to was that Parker was right there and Parker was ready to pick up Tesho. And I think Parker either didn't say anything or uh, they, didn't, they didn't communicate. And so AJ holds back, gives Yerudi space. He runs into it and Ost you know, Osted is a little bit too near post and he's a little bit unsighted by the shot and it, and it finds, and it finds the corner. So I think there's two or three things there that we would probably love to, to see. I, th- I think that they're going to be looking on the tape and talking about, and we would obviously love to have seen a play out differently. My thinking about AJ is that um, maybe on that play, cause maybe he, he used to playing in the midfield. Maybe it's the, the that he thought he had more time to make that break on him, and maybe that was the reason why. So he actually, in his post game comments, he kind of, in his post game comments, he he basically owned he owned that he he responded too slowly. He didn't mention Tesho, but he said basically I responded too slowly there, and and that was why uh, he he gave you know Yuri more room than he would have liked to have. Yeah. 
But it was a it was a solid uh, uh, like like Michael was saying a solid goal by Rudy, and uh, he almost made it two nothing with that uh, volley like yeah. almost minutes later, and that would have been a backbreaker. Yeah, I mean if if it, if they'd gone two up at that point, there was no way back, and it was kind of even with the one goal, it was a little bit hard to see how the Whitecaps were going to get back into it. But then on comes the shining light, the savior of Canadian and Whitecaps soccer. He's only sixteen, in case you didn't know. The Alfonso Davies sub. Uh, quick, before you talk about that, the funny thing is, is we were talking about Chani earlier. You know Chani's having a bad game when Michael would rather have <laughs> him come off instead of Tybert. Yeah. Oh, he actually right. said that in the yeah, press box. When the so. substitution was made, I was like, why are you leaving him on? Leave Tybert on. <laughs> Tybert, right. Tybert actually did look visibly upset at coming off. Which is not a bad thing. No, I, I'm not knocking him for that. It's but, like I, I love. But that he still sh- he still shook the hands and whatever. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah he didn't throw a strop like yeah. we've seen from Salgado yeah. and types over the years. But like all joking aside about Davies, he was the difference maker for the Whitecaps. He came on, he added a spark. He uh, was did he when he came on. He was central, right? He was in the center. He was in the, he was more central than he was uh, than he usually is. Right, Steve? Yeah, he was playing playing in a central position. Yeah. Which was nice to see. I know he doesn't have quite as much space there and time on the ball, but he definitely was a spark. Yeah, I mean, he came on. He, he gave an impetus to the team. He was looking really good and bringing something that none of the other Whitecaps had brought. And right away, the team felt that they had a lift. And Christian Teixeira hadn't had a bad game. He was one of the, the better players in the first half. But it seemed to really help him raise his game. But as you said, Davies was playing in the middle. And there's been a lot of chat on Twitter today about, could this actually be the better position for him? Now, I like him out wide. And I was talking to Steve about this yesterday. Because he's got less players to get past. But he can still get past players in the middle. It's just, it's... I think he's got more scope to get goals out wide but he's got a better ability to help set goals up if he is in the middle. I think I think this ladder is better. I think the way he pushes the ball up through the middle will help, especially if you have like a Bolaños and a um, Teixeira or Shea out wide. Yeah. Will help pull people within, giving the outside more space. Plus, if he's right, getting fouled in the middle, you're going to get free kicks in really good positions. And right Because right now, I don't know how much the defenders respect the Whitecaps midfield for pushing the ball forward like a Chani or a thing. So if more people are going wide, you get more space outside, you get them outside, and you get more space in. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. And it's not uncommon for young, quick players to begin as wing- as being as wingers and move yeah. inside. I mean, you know, these are obviously players, world-class players who've done crazy things in the game. But you look at, uh, you know, Bastian Schweinsteiger, when he came up at Bayern, he was a wide midfielder. Yeah. He even played a little left back, <laughs> but he eventually his skills were you know he moved into the middle and and found a home for the latter half or sixty percent of his career as, as a central midfielder. And you see it with other attacking players, like even and I, I'm not making a comparison to the skill or ability, but even Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, is to me he's always been a wide player that they've used his skills in central positions. Obviously, and I'm not, again, I'm not making a comparison. So, yeah, now, now that you said Alfonso that... Alfonso is the Canadian Christian. Now, now that you said that, I want to make a comparison too. Just the way a couple of times when he was pushing the ball up, he reminded me of Paul Pogba. Just a couple of times. Just the way he pushed the ball in from the 
you know, the middle of the field, up the field. It was just just a couple times. And again, not comparing, just like Zach said. For me, I don't see any comparison between Ronaldo and Davies because I don't no, want really? to punch Alfonso in the face. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's a statue at an airport you could yeah. take, vent I, that. I, well, that's already looked like it's been punched in the yeah. face. I don't know, it's something about Ronaldo and Nani. That yeah. I, they're just two players in the modern game that I really, really hate. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm biased, though. They're, they're, I, it's like what did, I, I what get, did they do against Scotland? <laughs> actually, it was club games against Scottish teams oh, that I don't like go. Nanny for his diving antics. Don't start me on Neymar for what he did against Scotland, but that, that's another player I can't stand. But we talked there about how Davies does play through the middle. If he gets brought down, it's going to give the Whitecaps some good free kick positions. And whether you feel it was a free kick or not, there's a, a little bit of debate about that. The Whitecaps did get a free kick. And it was, and it was a bit of redemption because it was Matias Lava, was it not? Uh, I can't actually remember. I'm who. pretty sure it was Matias Lava who got... He put I it, thought it was Teixeira. I'm that sure somebody through. on Twitter can remind no, us No, it was... I'm pretty sure it was Lava. And it was... He was going to head the ball and he, he got called for... It got, the call was for dangerous play, the, the foot being too high. Too high. Yeah, you're right. It yeah. is. It was Lava. Yeah. yeah. But then the free kick was given. Up steps the bug and... Uh, Belanius would probably have taken it if he had been playing, but... The bug we've seen him hit these set pieces before. Can I disagree with you on that? That that one, I always like when you at a free, for a free kick you have more than one options over the ball. I think that's so much better to for the goalkeeper's mind. Usually, the goalkeeper will look for who placed it or whatever that kind of thing. But I like when there's more options over the ball. And I think if Bolo was there, he would have been the number two option. However, that ball where it was was set up for a left foot to go over to the near post. Yeah, and he he hit it perfectly and. It's great to see Teixeira back to his 25 form. And we've talked about it for all of last season. What happened to Teixeira last year? He was so good in that first year. Seven seven goals, five assists, I think it was. Last year, two goals and two assists. And already, we're just not even out of June, and he's got four goals and two assists for this team and a missed penalty. So he could have had even more, but... I, I asked Robbo this yesterday. I, I said, did the transfer of Manny give kind of Teixeira a kick up the ass? Which Robbo seemed to think I was swearing, but I, I don't see that as swearing. But it it does seem to have... It's anatomy. Yeah. It does seem to have given him a little bit of impetus. And we're seeing a different Christian. And it's great to see that. Yeah, um, uh, it, it is. And he, he struck that ball so well, too. And he used the people in the, in the, in the line, like his own teammates, because... He got that. I don't know how set up this was, but that those uh, teammates they they basically screened the people in the box more than they screened the goalkeeper because they didn't even jump when the ball came over to them. And then Gonzalez was like almost cemented to the floor. Yeah. He did not move at all. I don't know if that was uh, lack of experience, uh, but he was like he's not even hopping around to get ready for the jump. He was the ball came over the line uh, wall. Then he started moving, but by then it was way too late. And. It gave the, the Whitecaps the the tie with 16 minutes to go, and I felt they would go on uh, and get the win, but the game kind of then fell into a bit of a low, and towards the end, if any team was going to score, it was probably Dallas, and the Caps seemed happy just to settle for the points. D- Berrios had a chance. Well, first off, in the first half, oh. Ber- Berrios whiffed on probably the most clear-cut chance of the first half. Yeah. But in the second half, he had, after the, the, the equalizer, he had a chance that they were shouting for a handball on, on Jordan Harvey. Yeah, no, that, that wasn't a handball. That he was had, a fantastic he, he, block by Harvey. Yeah. Harvey went in two, with his hands behind his back. It was like almost on two home line. games in a row with good yeah. blocks by yeah. Jordan. 
I, th- and, I thought Diaz had a great chance too, but he just did not get oh, it at all. Yes, he was yes. wide open in the box. Right. And he was, was not happy with his effort. A, a sharper Diaz, I think, would have, would have probably buried that. So last thing we'll talk about in this section, do you feel a draw was a fair result? And is it really a good result considering everything that has happened this week? That's what I was going to say. Considering the week they had, I think a draw, they lost three starters. Um, another one of their starters, we'll talk about this later, came really late into the game. Um, not late into the game, they showed up late to the the, the building. And, um, yeah, I think it was a, a perfect uh, perfect result, considering I predicted it in the last show. <laughs> I think, yeah, when you look at it, I mean, there's a couple of things that I think that stand out in, a, as you said, a very, very difficult week for the for the football club. One was, I think, one of the standouts, I think, was Jake Nowitzki at right back. I think yeah. both defending and going forward, he had some really awesome moments. And that's not trying to overstate something in the light of this current situation. I, uh, I thought he went forward well, but a couple of people were saying to me that they didn't think he was def- that he needs to work on his defensive play, that he was maybe caught up the field a little bit. But that's what he brings. He's an attacking yeah. fullback, so you're yeah. going to get that. And then the other person uh, I think we want to touch on is is AJ. And aside from, I think, him wanting to maybe have back his challenging or positioning on, on the, the goal we conceded, I thought he did a remarkable job in in replacing Kendall Waston in the center, center of defense. Solid. And... Dean could be back soon, but for now it does look like it's going to be a case of Waston and Jacobson moving. Not Waston, sorry, Parker and Jacobson moving forward as our starting centre backs. Yeah, Dean's probably only a, a week, maybe two away we, from being available. I would say two tops. Uh, he's he's, but he's not, still, still got to get into game. Yeah, he's he's not right, playing in scrimmages yet. He's still doing training. So and maybe doing laps maybe a week and, or two from playing for WFC yeah, two and getting match fit. Yeah. Last couple of little things to to come out of that. It was a. Uncertain lineup, or for Robo, it was uncertain what the lineup was going to be. Pretty close to when they have to actually file their their team sheets to to the officials because at training on Friday, when I went along, it was noticeable Shane Williams was absent, but then it was also noticeable that Breck Shea was absent as well, and he was at the hospital all day on Friday. For good news. For good news, yes. Not like every other Whitecaps player that's missing just now that's been at the hospital for bad news. But he was at the hospital all day on Friday and then on Saturday as well. And his wife, Carling, gave birth to a healthy baby boy, Zeppelin. Brecken Shea. Yeah. Same middle name as Breck. 4.40 on Saturday afternoon. Right away, he texted Robo, basically saying, the kid's here, I'll be with you in half an hour. (laughs) Yeah. That is commitment. This is pretty awesome. But, I mean, it, it just kind of shows how much he wants to play for this team. And, obviously, after the game, Breck was quite keen just to get back to the hospital to, to be with wife and baby. But I have to say a big thanks to Mr. Nathan Vanstone. Mr. Whitecaps, I'm going to start calling him, I think. That's a good name. Yeah. I think that's actually... I don't think there's anyone else I'd want to call that name. No. So Nathan is Mr. Whitecaps. But he managed to grab a quick chat with Breck just about the baby and what his day had been like just before heading to the game. So let's hear what Breck had to, sh- to say. All right, Breck, obviously a whirlwind of a day. Uh, just uh, what did your day look like today? You're in the hospital? Uh, just hoping that the kid came before I had to leave for the game. Um, and luckily it came within 30 minutes before I had to leave and be here. So uh, great day. Uh, 
to have my first son, second kid, and everything was healthy. Happy to be part of the game. Obviously, I wanted to be here and be there at the same time, and um, so now I'm happy we got a point. The team fought hard. Uh, against a, it's against a good team, so excited for that, and excited to go back and be in the hospital again all night. I should maybe have prefaced that by saying it was a very noisy audio clip. Oh, it sounds like sword fighting in there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Breck, the commitment that that showed to me, a lot of people, when they signed him, it's fair to say the jury was out. Some folk, they'd already made their opinions upon him from things that had happened in the past. But Robbo doesn't bring players in without good reason. And before anyone tweets us about Shane and he has no experience of doing something like this in the past... I'm pretty sure someone will tweet us that. But character is a big thing with Robbo, as is dressing room harmony, and he wouldn't have brought in Shea if he had any doubts about him at all. And the fact that he just was so keen to get out and play in this game and start in this game, to me, shows great commitment to the club. Yeah, and and to his teammates and and builds that chemistry and builds that connection uh, in the the locker room when you see your... Uh, when you see your one of your teammates, yeah, go above and beyond, it's uh, it's a pretty awesome thing, and uh, it's also great that he was able to be there for the the, the birth of his child, the second child, and it yeah. sounds like everyone's healthy, and that's yeah. the most important thing. And so, yeah, and obviously it's another future Canadian international. We'll we'll, we'll get Zeppelin capped pretty quick, naturally. Yeah. So, if he hadn't have played, it was interesting. At training on Friday, they had Davies starting. So we don't know, would that have made a, a difference or not? But he definitely would have left the bench pretty short. And on the bench, kind of forced into action in some ways. But he was ready to go because he, he played 60 minutes midweek in a scrimmage against the U18s. Bernie Abini made his debut. Really impossible to say too much about him because he didn't have a lot of time on the pitch to kind of to get things under his belt. But at least it's another healthy body for this stretch that's coming up now. Well, he was welcomed to the league by our former player, Tiva Harris, quite nicely. Oh, yeah. Like that tackle, you're thinking, okay then. Just... Well, at first glance, actually, I thought it was, I thought it was, I was kind of surprised a free kick was given. On second glance, yeah. second glance, Atiba's there foot was... was a little over the ball and a little bit of the bottom of his uh, boots showing. And... Well, just before we, we finish talking uh, about the Dallas game from the Whitecaps' point of view, Talking of heavy tackles, there was the tackle on Teixeira in the box in the second half that really raised David Usted's ire. Yeah. And first glance, I thought, no, no penalty, fair tackle. You see the replay and he goes, he gets the ball, but he does go right through into Teixeira. And it's one of those things, you've seen penalties given, you've not seen penalties given. It's maybe hard to be unbiased because it's against our team, but did you think quickly that it was a penalty? Actually, I'm kind of the reverse than this, Michael. In the stadium, I thought for sure something was awry, and it didn't help. You know that it was it was it was was a minor finger roll, right? So that didn't help things. I'm nodding, which which helps yeah, yeah. for a review. I'm I'm pretty sure it was minor. Uh, so that it didn't was help. Pretty major. Yes, and that didn't help my perspective. I thought for sure it was a. Uh, I thought for sure one, it was a foul. Two, I thought Christian's probably done in the ma- in the match. Uh, but watching it on the replay, actually, I, I didn't think it was as heinous as I originally thought, and I don't also don't think it was helped that it was to Chera, who I think might might be fair to say that yes. it's known known to go to ground easier than others, perhaps, and is from a culture where 
being clever in that way is valued. Uh, so I thought maybe I thought maybe some you know that might have played into things, and so I I didn't feel as aggrieved afterwards watching it you know on my couch as I did in the stadium. I didn't think it was too much of a foul, but I know for a fact that they do call those quite a bit, yeah. especially when you go through a player watching instant replay. Usually Mondays, um, uh, Simon Borg always mentions he went through the player, yeah, and that's usually a penalty yeah. or a foul. I, I I did get to talk to the bug after, and he said yes, it was a foul. Yeah, the, the bug. He's standing by it. It's the first time I've actually spoken to him after the match, which we had the translator doing the interview, and he came out and he's holding his man of the mug, man of the match mug, and he had his match of tea and quite a lot for a little guy to carry. Just just before we wrap up, then any other things to say about the game? Anything you want to add, anyone? No, I think it was again good good result for the week they had, like we said, and um, Dallas is not. Uh, although Dallas have been they started out great eight eight straight wins eight straight games without a loss but now only one win in their last seven still a very strong team to play and just read you a couple of tweets that we've got here just now um at whitecap scarf he feels that the the caps if Watson is going to be out for 46 weeks that they need to sign someone and bring somebody in it's not going to be as easy as that because of the fact that the transfer window doesn't open for a couple of weeks, by which time Kendall is likely to be back. He's not named on the Costa Rican Gold Cup roster, so we're not going to lose him now in the summer like we thought. There is always the chance to sign Sam DeWitt or Francis DeVries as well. I've also got a tweet from at Spiceboy1, and he makes a very good point that everyone points out to Shera's 2016 shortcomings in MLS play but we are kind of forgetting that he was exemplary in CCL play he had his five mm-hmm. goals he was regularly in the team of the week and yeah he did save his best best football for that which for me kind of made it more frustrating as well that we weren't seeing that in, in his league performances I, I did actually I did read and hear a lot of perspective opposite to what you said earlier Michael in terms of a number of people I think felt that actually his his contributions to the game were probably solely the 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 goal uh, that his service into the box wasn't good. I heard some stats about our service into the box, which were startling. Yeah, in general, the, 4% the service wasn't very good. But he was hitting the byline and, and getting some. He, he some was getting the in balls there. in. You, you yeah. can't always blame the person crossing the ball. Sometimes you have to blame the runs, and the runs aren't in the right spots and everything like that. So, uh, I thought the, he delivered the ball well, uh, but yeah, the, there was definitely no connection there. Breck Shea, on the other hand. Obviously, it was a lack of sleep, maybe, maybe just high energy. He His crosses into the box uh, sailed over and didn't even hit the right spot. So he was actually more of the... But you don't expect that from him as much. And Chris Corrigan at Sailor C86 says, Like Pod, Pogba, agreeing with you, Chris, Alfonso isn't afraid to carry the ball through the middle. Someone also said something he has way better hair than... Yes. Yeah. Russell's looking better with his nice trimmed haircut and he doesn't look like a werewolf anymore. So Oh, he I thought I thought that was, I thought it, I talked to him I talked to him about this too. I thought he looked in the Canada game where it was all just like crazy and like it kind of fit with how he was playing out there in terms of very aggressive. I didn't and, recognize him on the pitch at training on Friday when I was trying to work out who was in the team and it's like who is that? But anyway, we're agreeing it was a good result for the White Caps. Dallas were a little bit mixed. They they kind of felt they should have got more out of the game. But Dallas's form just now, it's it's not been the best heading into this one. 
And in a lot of ways, this kind of point that they got might steady the ship a little bit, Steve. Yeah, they they were talking about that after the game, that they felt, uh, you'll hear from Matt Hedges and the team, that, that they, they thought this was one of their better performances yeah. on the road. And uh, obviously, I think they were probably looking at the second half more than the first half, because you can't really say that was a good performance. But second half, they did look very strong and very, especially on the attack. And they started the season undefeated in eight, and then their yeah. last seven games, it's, they've just been on a really, really bad run. One win in the last seven. One of the reasons that, that helped them at the beginning of the season to, to be in good form was that they had their some of their league matches moved for the CONCACAF yes. Champions League. Which, of course, we did not. But I remember just a few weeks ago talking about how exciting it was going to be, the top of the table, Texan clash, and how it was going to mean a lot between Houston and Dallas. Game's coming up this Friday, and now Dallas have kind of gone down the table a little bit. But Steve, you did get a chance to head into the Dallas locker room after the match. Spoke with Matt Hedges and former Whitecap Atiba Harris. So let's just hear from both of those now. So first of all, all your overall thoughts on the game and how it went for you guys? Uh, I thought it was one of our best road performances all year. You know, I thought we kept the ball well. Uh, we created some chances, and you know, we really limited their chances. I thought maybe you know their that free kick was one of their only quality chances. So I thought it was a good performance all around from us. I think well, we could have gone out with three points, but uh, we got one, so we'll take it. You you guys were uh, unbeaten um, in your first eight games. Uh, now one win in the last seven. Do you feel like this game is the game to kind of get you guys back on track and and get back to winning? Yeah, I think it was. I think, you know, we're very encouraged by our performance. I mean, we created chances. You know, we just didn't finish them. But I think that we can build off of uh, the performance today. And, you know, going to Houston, I think we can we can do better than we did. FC Dallas and Vancouver have had some heated matches in the past. Um, there's some players that have moved on and some players are still here. Do you think it's still a heated rivalry between the two? Or is it just goals as per game? Uh, maybe not as much as before. I feel like it doesn't have that, that, that same feeling. But, uh yeah, it's kind of just go as this game. You know, it's still if the fans don't don't like us, you can tell. It's pretty obvious, but uh, on the field, it's not not as much as it used to be. And you guys are obviously getting uh, playing next week against Houston on Friday. You know, national game. Is that a, this is kind of a warm up for that? And and how would you expect it from there? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, it's definitely a warm up. You know, on the road, we needed to to get our, our set our formation down of how we're going to play in Houston. And I think that today was a good help for that, and I think uh, it was positive the way uh, we kept the ball today. I think we can we can do that in Houston. Uh, we'll get we'll get points. Thank you. Yeah. First of all, your overall thoughts on the game and how it went? I think I mean yeah. Obviously, we came in, we scored, and then we gave up the late the late goal. But we wanted to get three points. A little bit disappointed we didn't get it. Uh, I think I think we're organized for. Um, pretty much a whole game, except it was unlucky that we gave up the set piece, and it was a, it was a good, great goal by um, Tisheo. So, I mean, congratulations to him and Vancouver. You guys were unbeaten in the first eight games, and now one win in the last seven. Do you feel like this game is the game to kind of get you guys back on track uh, going into Houston next week? I think. I mean, it's a long it's a long season, and you know you're gonna have ups and downs. We can. I mean, we would like to win every game, but we can't. We can't do it. I mean, but we still gonna stick to our principles and and 
try to achieve our goals. I mean, at the end of the year, we just try to win championships. FC Dallas and Vancouver kind of had a heated rivalry from game to game. Do you, there's some new players, some old players. Do you think the heat rivalry is still there or is it lessened a little? <laughs> I mean, I think... It, it seems like you got heated there on the field a little bit. I think, I mean, I think you can see it a little bit, but obviously over the, I mean, the past couple of years, you've seen like you had guys with bigger personalities than not around at the moment. So, I mean, I think kind of died down a little bit, but overall, I think it's still there, especially amongst the supporters. Now, there, there, there's been a story that you, you're possibly going to be starting your own uh, club team uh, back, back in your homeland of St. Kitts and Nevis. How is that going? Is it a difficult task to get that started up, or...? I think I mean right now I'm still I'm still a player so it's it's kind of difficult to like dedicate dedicate 100% towards towards it I mean I'm going to have I have people over there working working and trying to get it get it all all sorted out along with Aaron as well he's part of it and hopefully hopefully in the next couple of years especially like we can get it up and running and especially with um I have friends here in Canada and stuff who I mean, obviously, I have the CPL about to start, so hopefully, we can have partnerships and all that, so we can help move move players, young players from over there, bring them up here, and get them the experience and exposure. How important is it to have uh, for even like a, a small country like yours, or like a big country like Canada, like you know, in size and everything? How important is it to have a national uh, league um, where you can develop your own players for the national? Yeah, league? it's important because I mean. The ultimate goal is to have like the best, the best players playing in the top league, and if and getting minutes, especially like locally, you want those those young players who who are not going to be able to go to a bigger club and play instantly. They can they can get games in and and help groom their talent. Perfect. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Have a good one, right? Thanks. Man. FC Dallas's Matt Hedges and Atiba Harris there. Atiba obviously a former Whitecaps player and we, we talked a little bit to him there about a venture which he has been working on for the last couple of years. He's going to be launching his own football team in St Kitts and Nevis called Atiba Harris FC. They're trying to get a domestic league set up there just like we are in Canada and wish him all the best in that. One of the AFTN crew, Aaron Campbell, has a little bit of involvement in that as well and it's yeah, good luck to Atiba with that. Atiba is uh, an individual who understands the value of giving back, and I think that's yeah. what he longs to do, uh, give back to the football community that helped give him his chance and also to create pathways. And, you know, you heard there talking about, hey, maybe one day this club will have relation- relationships with Canadian CPL teams, and yeah. it's pretty cool. And the the draw on Saturday kept Dallas in fourth place in the West. The Whitecaps holding on to fifth spot. There's seven seven points off first place Sporting Kansas City just now, but they do have three games in hand. And it's a crazy situation with this team just now. I was talking to Martin McMahon about this yesterday at the game. You watch their performances this year, and, like, no hyperbole, this is a team that could go all the way to the MLS Cup. They've got the quality, they grind out results, they fight back. Equally, though... This is also a team that might not even make the playoffs. You've just no way of knowing what's going to happen with this team as the season goes on. And it's like we said before, I, I think it's a lot to do with injuries, how injuries uh, play out. It Also, like every other season, it's about making the playoffs. And, and anything can happen once you get there. You could get on a big hot streak. So 
you're right that they if they make the playoffs, they can go on a run and and beat anybody in the like nobody in the in the Western Conference really scares you. Um, no, there's there's nobody that's uh, like you could say Portland a little bit, but Portland has had their uh, drop offs too here and there. Everyone's been up and down, and yeah. like it seems the Eastern Conference is much stronger yeah. this year. I mean, right right now, Seattle and LA are sent out of the playoff places and you kind of do feel that they're both likely to be in the playoffs come the end of the season but I mean Steve you worked out that if every team was to win their game in hand which is obviously impossible but if every team was to the Whitecaps would sit second sit second and Dallas would Dallas be first, be first. The, it's been a weird year for Dallas right so Barrios or not Barrios sorry uh, Diaz obviously coming back from injury they had Morales kind of brought in Morales to help fill that that gap and you're right I think they're less feared than than they fearsome than they were last year. I think people aren't as you know anxious about playing them, um, which is interesting because it, does, it has kind of opened things up a little bit more in the West. And you we've seen a lot more Western teams drop points to Eastern teams. Um, it feels like the, the, there's a little bit more balance between the two conferences than there has been in the past. And obviously that's a Western bias perspective. But it will be interesting to see because when you listen to you know you listen to Tiba, you listen to Hedges talk, they're like, yeah, they're focused on winning trophies, and they have a taste for it, and they have a bit of a, a bit of a recent culture for it, and uh, I think they they're longing to to to, to lift an MLS Cup uh, in the, you know as quickly as possible. And as we mentioned, they've got a, a tough derby coming up against Houston on Friday night. The Whitecaps head on the road for this weekend. They're going to be heading to Minnesota. That means they get to square off against Marys Rovda. But Minnesota, it looked like they were going to be the absolute whipping boys of the league the way that they started the season. Horrendous start to the season. They have kind of picked it up a little bit. Still not in great form, sitting bottom of the West just now. And it's one of those banana skinned games. Talked about it so many times. The Whitecaps seem to raise their game against the top teams in the West. Then when they play the bottom dwellers... Seems to kind of drag them down to their level a little bit. Yeah, it, it, you hope it's not a, a match where we, we play at their uh, play at their level, uh, you know. Uh, and we're going as the as the obviously we're on the road. We're the away team, and we have. Uh, I think when we look back on our most recent uh, road trip in the league, I think we are coming from a good a place where we are ready to to put in a performance that can get us a result and so really looking forward to the the, the players the squad coming together and uh really battling in Minnesota for a point or ideally three you, you don't really know what you're getting in Minnesota as i said it's it's the whole forest gump box of chocolates kind of team but they are pretty solid at home they have uh won i think half their games or so um i can't i know it's four wins i can't remember how many games they've played uh but uh, a decent team at home not very good on the road obviously although the, amazingly they drew houston uh 2-2 uh in houston so that was surprising but other than that yeah not too much known about them i mean on this season they they've only got four wins and they are playing better at home yeah you also have to wonder as well, though, about the Marius Rovda effect. Will he be so up for his team? I mean, we gave him a lot of stick, Whitecaps Twitter, about the start of the season his goalkeepers had when the goalkeepers were leaking goals left, right and centre. But they have kind of shored that up a little bit. Looking at the Caps' point of view, what what do you think the Caps' team's going to look like 
I think it's almost certain we're still going to stick with the four-one-four-one. It's just what personnel is going to to fit in there. Do you expect to see the same starting lineup that we saw against Dallas on Saturday, or maybe a, a few little tweaks here and there? Unless there's a miracle um, and Waston's able to come back, um, I, I see basically see the same starting eleven. I uh, I might think that maybe Davies gets there in there somewhere. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure about that, especially on the road. Waston does believe in miracles, so yeah, that, yeah. He, he didn't look too rough uh, after the game. Down no, there uh, he does know the English word for the thing that's wrong with him, though, because it was <laughs> <laughs> is it a hip flexor? Uh, I'm not. I can't say the word in English. Um, no, he. Uh, yeah, would, I mean, that would be amazing if Kendall were be able to return. Um, I think one of the things this week, uh, you know, it's a a life thing. But yeah, you talk about you know Dane Breckenshaw's had a second kid, so. You know, what's his involvement? Is his involvement going to be full this week? And how are sleeping patterns going to be changed? Because, you know, that's a part of life of uh, being a parent. Um, yeah, I, I can't see them going away from the four one four one as you suggested, Michael. It'll just be kind of who kind of fits in where. I, I think we're we're probably going to have a team as well. That they're going to sit back. They're going to try and soak up the pressure, hitting the counterattack. Your typical Vancouver away performance. I'd be amazed if it isn't the same starting lineup that, that we saw at the weekend and also probably the same couple of first two subs anyway, Bini and Davies as well. And then they were going to bring Rosales on just, I think, to kind of see yeah. the game out on Saturday. But you'd hope maybe if they need another attacking sub, they might have a few more attacking options on the bench. I was a little disappointed that they sent Kyle Gregg down to play with the USL team just because... You need to have more attacking options on the bench, I think, than we did. Yeah, am I crazy? Was Marco not on the bench? Bustos, yeah. yeah. Busti was on the bench. And we were talking, we thought they would maybe bring Busti on instead of Rosales. And that's the kind of game, if you're going to bring Bustos on, that was the kind of game I feel to bring him on in. And he could possibly have made a difference. I think the one reason they might not have brought him in was because Davies was already playing centrally and they didn't want Bustos and Davies on there at the same pitch at the same time. But I don't have a problem with it personally. I think it would have been exciting to see what was going on. One most likely would have gone wide, though. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it it is interesting, you know, talking about, you know, formations. It is interesting that we're not, and I know there was was talk about this in post-game and stuff, but it it is interesting that we're not playing uh, Shea up, up front in a two that he's still been been out, out wide. Because it, yeah, we, you know, we talked about the island before, and, yeah, we need our central striker to not be stuck on an island. Yeah, but I think I think they like the four one four one, and it's working for them, so I, I don't see them deviating from it. I think if they get into a losing streak, maybe they might change a little something there, but I, I don't see it changing at all at this point. And there's a couple of dangerous Minnesota players to watch out for. Leading the way on eight goals, Christian Ramirez, their forward. I think he's a designated player. I'm assuming. Two game-winning yeah. goals as well he's got. And then Kevin Molino is in at five goals as well. I mean, you look at the Whitecaps, Montero leads the way in five, Teixeira's next on four. So we're critical of maybe how Minnesota's played, but their top two guys have kind of scored more goals than well, even when they're Caps. Even when they're leaking goals in the early season, they they... Was, they, they were, were never, they were, yeah, they were never getting shut out. Really, I yeah, they, they, they always seem to at least yeah, get one, one or two goals every game. So, and then your assist leaders. I mean, you've got Venegas, you've got Ibsen, you've got Molino, all in three, and then there's a string of others underneath them. So the assists are coming from a lot of different places as well. It's it's a it's a defense though that is ripe for the picking, but with the, the kind of lineup that the Whitecaps are playing, I'm just a little bit skeptical as to to whether they'll do it. What's your predictions then heading into the game? 
Yeah, I'm looking uh, for the Whitecaps to win this game, and I'm looking for it to be something like 2-1, maybe like 3-2. I got, um, I'm going to go 3-1 Whitecaps. And I do want to say that I'd love to see Marius and Mark Watson win every other game, just not the two. Oh, yes. Or, yeah, the two we have this year. I'm going to go for a pretty boring 1-0 win for the Whitecaps. I don't think it's going to be a pretty game. No Picasso to use Colin Elms' words from the TSS <laughs> game on Friday night. Love speaking to Colin Elms after the TSS games. He is so refreshing. The quotes that he gave me on Friday, no Picasso, they played like a bunch of five-year-olds, it was Keystone Cops in the defence. That's what you need, a bit of honesty. If, if Marius Rovda ever becomes a head coach, he's going to give fantastic post-game interviews. Yeah, I'm, I'm, Marius is... Uh... Very appreciated among supporters in in Vancouver, and it's not without reason. He, he, yeah, he took stands for supporters, and they'll never be forgotten for that. So the MLS team back in action on Saturday. WFC two also in action on Saturday afternoon. They're at home. Nice to to come back to that. During the week, though, the Whitecaps residency are going to be action, and some some good residency news to talk about in, in this section. Both the under-18s and the under-16s are heading back to the playoffs. Both won their divisions again in the USSDA. And it's a, it's a tough battle ahead for both teams in the playoffs. The under-18s, they're seeded 10th. Although they won their conference, they, they did have quite a few losses on the year. And that has seen them falling into the 10th seeding, which means they're in the second pot of teams. Yeah. They're facing RSL who they have played and lost against already this year, and they're seeded fourth overall, so that's a dangerous one. Only the group winners advance into the knockout stages. They also then play the 12th-placed Columbus Crew Academy, so two highly-ranked MLS academies in there, and then a low wildcard team in Dallas Texans. But a tough, tough group for the 18s this time around. And but they are bringing a lot of players um, that norm might not have played like the WFC two players, um, which we'll, we'll talk about in a, in a little bit. Yeah, and so I think they they will be a strong team. Um, but I I I, I think they, they they've always had tough groups in the past, uh, especially a couple times when they they grouped them and then they regrouped them. Uh, yeah, this is a, this is a, so, a, a rare so, draw. That's the same teams that came out the so pot. It's, it's, the, clearly, USSDA did a good job on getting yeah. the tough group right off the bat instead of doing it again. <laughs> they, they know it's a tough one for them to get through. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah, let's leave it this time. The, the under sixteens as well. They're actually seeded eighth, so they're one of the top seeds, and they're in an all MLS academy group. They're playing LA, who are seeded fifteenth, nineteenth seeded Philadelphia Union, and the twenty sixth seeded. Houston Dynamo, I'm a little bit more confident of the 16s going through just because they've done well. They seem to raise their game as well when they're playing against MLS academies. Um, And the 18s, two big games, obviously, is the the crew and the RSL. And the RSL one for me is the big game. If they can win that, I'm pretty confident they're going to go through. The the, the thing is about these rankings is none of these, except for a few uh, examples, like you said, RSL playing Whitecaps, uh, you don't get, this is a, uh, this is almost like a Champions League. Um, you don't know how strong the other leagues are. That's the thing. Um, yeah. Some teams have been the top seed and then crashed out in the right in the group stages because they were just in an easy group or whatever, easy uh, conference or whatever. So I think, I think, 
it's hard to judge and hopefully they're able to bring their top game into this and, and take it over. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things about this is uh, is kind of what's going on with their, their their coaching staff for this game. They uh, Niall Niall Thompson, Niall Thompson, who took over from Rich Fagan when Rich Fagan got the WFC two job. Niall Thompson took over from him, and he's in Europe. Doing he's away his, doing his UEFA A. Right. So Pamuruka is going to be overseeing the side, the U18 side, for this uh, this first part of the playoffs. He'll be leading them. James Merriman is going to be his assistant. That's what I was going to ask, because I have a feeling that uh, Pa might not be on the sidelines too much sometimes, depending on how the referees are going. <laughs> he is very he vocal animated. and very panish, pa- passionate as well. Yeah. I got a, a chance to speak to Pa during the week, so we'll play that for you now. Uh, so first thing to ask you, Pa, is uh, it's been uh, nearly a year since you've you've got into coaching. How mm. how have you enjoyed your experience with it all so far? Uh, it's been superb, to be fair to you. I've I've really enjoyed myself. You know, it's not the same as playing, but nobody will, uh, nothing will ever equal that. But this is the second best thing, and I'm loving every second of it. And it's challenging, and which I love. So it's been great to me. And you've been involved with the club at, at all age groups and coaching. You've been in the first team coaching and WFC two last season and this and now with the residency. Mm. Do, do you enjoy all of it, or is is there any aspect of it that you enjoy more than than the others? No, for me, I enjoy everything because you get to see a different aspect of uh, how is it to be with the residencies, what kind of things that goes through, all the things that a coach need to do for these players and then you with the USL you see a different environment and you with the first team you see a different environment of course first team is the highest one and being, being a player for 20 years and have the opportunity to work on the robo you know as a player and now as a staff you know the experience that I've gained you know, working with him has been uh, very valuable for me that I'd, after I stopped playing to be able to work with the uh, yeah, residency the USL and like if you know my personality, you know that I'm a guy that works hard, but love also as well to know people. I'm not, I'm, I'm not shy for the dirty work, you know. But so for me, it's been splendid, you know. And also seeing uh, Robert Earnshaw, who's also been with the 14s, and James Merriman, all this. So you go down with all the other coaches. Nile Thompson, who's been great to me when uh, with him working with him as an 18s coach, has been uh, very good to me. So all the stuff you take it and the experience that you gain from it is superb. Now, Niall's going to be away next week during mm. the, the playoffs. It's yourself mm. and James that, that's yeah. taking the team down to mm. Indiana. What, what are you expecting from that? It's your first experience of playoffs. Did, or did you go down with the team last no, year? It's, it's my, your first, right? This is my first time ever taking the team down for the playoffs. And, you know, like, um, I have a motto that says uh, pressure is a, is a privilege. So I live by that every single day. And for me, it's a new thing. You get to see how it works and uh, the players that we have, the under-18s, I believe that they have enough quality, you know, to to do something great, you know, great things for these clubs. And uh, they went to the final last year, so, you know, but that's last year. This year is um, it's this year, you know, so eyes open, so I'm taking them with the help of Niall, you know, who's away, but me and him will still communicate on daily basis what is happening in and around the players and things and I know he will be sitting on his phone maybe or waiting for me to send him a text of how the game went and stuff like that so uh, so it's going to be good I have 
James Merriman, who's been uh, a residency coach now, who knows uh, every player in the residency, same as Reagan Hall, who's going with me as a goalkeeper coach. So, like, the help around me is good, so now it's doing everything that's best for the players so they can perform. And just the last thing, it's a tough group this time. The Caps are seeded 10th, and then you've got 4th-placed RSL, and then you've got 12th-placed other MSL Academy as well in the crew. Does having a stronger group like that just it'll help you raise your game? Because in the past, the games where the residency have struggled, it's been against the non-MLS academies, but they seem to raise their game more than it's the other MLS academies that they play. That's a natural thing in being a professional. They have nothing to do, but that's the thing that, that separates the tops, the world top players or the average players, because the top players, they're always ready for it, no matter what the game is. And when you're talking about average players, what do they do? They only raise their game at a certain level. But for us, that's not been a problem. We are going there to raise our level, whether we play against uh, MLS uh, Academy or normal academy, it doesn't matter to us because we have RSL, we have Dallas Texans and we have Columbus Crew. So the thing is, you have to win to go through. So the only thing that we care about is coming in and doing what is in our DNA and our work rate and give what we have to give. And hopefully, you never know because the ball is round. So when the game starts, everything is difficult on paper, easy on paper, but you still got to play the 90 minutes. That's great. Thanks so much, Pan. Good luck next week. Pamaduka there talking about his transition into coaching and the residency playoffs that are coming up this week. And he mentioned there Robert Earnshaw is also going to be going down with the team. So a lot of good experience heading down with these guys. When it gets to the pressure situations, these are guys that have done it at international level. And something great for the, the players to turn to. One of the things about Pamukka, I can't remember if we talked about it on the show in the past, but um, I haven't watched him with any of the residency teams or set up. But when you watch him around the first team, one of the things I really love about what he's done and how, how it's just how he carries himself. Like yeah. he is... Not just like professional, like he's at work, but he like the dude works hard. The dude doesn't like he he doesn't he isn't like yeah I was an international I scored you know look go look at my go look at the views on my YouTube goal and all like the dude works hard. He he there's no job that's too small. Uh, he's very humble and he yeah, wants to give back totally and share his experiences, totally. which is fantastic. It's like he gets it. It's like he's he understands that he's starting a different thing and now he's at the for lack of a better term, he's on the bottom rung yeah. and he's working his way up and he knows I'm going to put it in the heart. Like it's, it's really impressive. Now, it's if, been impressive for me to watch. Now, if he can lead him to the title. Yes. I'm oh. disappointed that you didn't ask if he's going to ride a Segway afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> the, or whatever well, they think call that thing. <laughs> the, the thing is as well, I mean, there could even be a coaching role up for grabs because we don't know. Niall was just put in charge of the team to the end of the season and then they're going to kind of review everything with Rich moving on. It might be, in the past, Niall's got a very busy job away from football. Yeah. He might decide that he's happy just to be the assistant. He doesn't want the full-time job. So it's a chance here, Pad, as well, to, to move into this role fully. And he mentioned there he's going to be on the phone to Niall during Every the week day, as well. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Rich Fagan will help him out. And Rich Fagan's certainly going to help him out because it looks like the, the Caps are going to get a number of the, the USL-signed residents, the eligible players, to, to head down there. Wouldn't be surprised to see the the Baldy brothers, Ten Campbell scored goal. last weekend. Yeah, yeah, great, Yesterday. great goal. Ben McKendry cross Campbell finishes, puts 
WFC 2 in the lead against Sacramento. Couldn't hold on, lost 2-1, but he had a good game. Gloria Manda as well. Really wouldn't be surprised to, to see him down there. He's played a lot with the residency this year, got a lot of goals. He's in form, and he's the kind of guy that you want down there because he could be a difference maker. And if only they can adjust a couple of maybe other uh, date of births and everything like that, birth <laughs> certificates. Maybe they get David Noble Al- Jr. there or something. Alfonso's like still eligible, so he let's, can, get, yeah. let's get him down there. I was going to ask about that. But I had a chance to ask Rich Fagan just a, about his thoughts on how well the team had done this year because he was with them up until February. And just a little bit about the team and, and what's coming up with the playoffs to come. What do you see with this under-18 team? Is this as good a team as like you've had like the last couple of years, or is this an even better one? Yeah, I think there's more balance in this team going into the playoffs. I mean, we've always had good teams, but we've sometimes been a little bit reliant on, on special players. I think there's probably more players of those type of qualities going into to this playoffs, and they'll get support from me and some some players from the the USL team to go down and, and make that's a difference. Nice, yeah, so. We're, we're going to do everything we can. I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces between the first team needs and, and, and my own needs here, but we're going to do everything we can to support them and send them with as strong a team as possible. And Rich Fagan, talking about trying to support the team there, I mean, it, it still rankles us. We were talking about this on Wednesday at training, Zach. It rankles me a little bit that we didn't have our strongest team possible in, in last year's championship game. Yeah, yeah that was really frustrating. That, last year was a, a prime opportunity to oh, yeah. win Alf- something. They didn't put Alfonso there, and I think the older of the Baldissimo brothers went with WFC2 and sat on the bench. Yeah. And it was pain, yeah. It's frustrating because if you can land a national championship, what it does for your program in attracting players, I mean, I know they've got these great academies all across Canada now, but if you've got a kid that's maybe a little bit torn, does he want to go into the TFC Academy? Does he want to go into the Whitecaps 1? And then you say, well, we've just won a national championship. It's a well, great selling point. Technically, there's, uh, there's area, not really a choice. Yeah, it's not a choice. <laughs> you know a choice. Or, yeah. <clears throat> Territory. Technically, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, you're right. And it, it does something for the, the the program, but it also within the club, it creates, it creates the culture of winning that everybody wants. Yeah. And we will be kicking off our fifth annual residency week. In fact, we're kind of kicking it off with this show, having Pamaduka on it. But we're kicking it off on Monday on AFTN. We're going to bring you news and recaps of the under-18s and under-16 games this week at the playoffs. Also got a couple of good interviews coming up with Nick Apostle and Thomas Hassel. And a lot more besides, including our much-looked-forward-to ones to watch. That's Steve's great thing that he does for us every year. So, once a year. Once a year. So yeah. watch out for that on AFTN.ca this week. And we'll be back with more chat after this. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Don't get confused, everybody. You're not listening to WKRP in Cincinnati. You're listening to CITR in Vancouver. We won't be throwing turkeys out windows. No, no. But you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. On CITR Radio, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of British Columbia, this show is brought to you in conjunction with bcsoccerweb.com, your one-stop site for all your local, national and international news and links. Now, you might be wondering why we played that WKRP in Cincinnati tune. And not because it's one of my favourite sitcoms in the 80s. Because it's awesome, that's why we played it. It taught me about neutrons. 
and Protrons. <laughs> I used to watch it all the time, but on oh. re- reruns. But I love it. I actually need to get the box set of that. I never like watched it, watched it, but I remember seeing it on TV. It was just not something I never like like got Ven- into. Like on, on, when I talk about protons and neutrons, like Venus Flytrap's yes. uh, lesson of that that actually taught me more than the teachers did initially. There was a good UK comedy, the Kit Curran radio show, that was kind of, they tried to do something similar, which I loved as well. That ran for two seasons. Anyway, we are digressing. But the reason we played that is it was a big week for FC Cincinnati, pulling off a fantastic cup shock in the US Open Cup. And the Battle of Ohio. I, I don't know if I do, I don't know if I use the term shock. USL against MLS, you kind of have to say but, shock. No, like it was, a, it was a strong Columbus team that was out there. It was an, uh, maybe an underdog win, but it was not a sh- a Kakuta many led Columbus team. I'm still going with giant killing. Anyway, they, they was beat- Kakuta on the on the pitch? No, he's no, in he's a in, he's in a boot. Oh, he's a boot. oh yeah. yeah. He's, I don't think we're going to get that first round a, pick. He's out in a boot. <laughs> he's out in a boot. I don't think we're going to get that first round pick, no, that conditional I, I, one. I, I think I, that's done. I think we can probably kiss the sell on Fia a little bit goodbye as well. So but sad. Great win for FC Cincinnati. They're doing some fantastic things out there. But the US Open Cup in general is, I wrote an article about it this week. It's what the Canadian Championship needs to be. It needs to be open to, to more teams. Allow the PDL teams in. Allow the... All the League One teams, and if they want VMSL. to be in it. VMSL, Fraser Valley, Richmond Summer League. Do, do you not agree, though, that the, the Canadian Championship does need to, to get opened up to, to more teams? It I know it's expanding expand. next year, it is expanding. but it's not enough. It is expand, it's expanding, but we don't fully know the format or anything like that. No, right? we know it's yeah. going to be the League One champions in Ontario and the Quebec boys. Mm-hmm. They're going to be in as well. The, t- the team from, I can't, I can't remember the letters, but the Q. I, can't, I know, I can't remember the, the name of the, the league. The Q League. The, yeah. yeah. But a great win for FC Cincinnati. 1-0 over Columbus Clue. 1-0 <laughs> over Columbus Crew. That was like a Freudian slip there. <laughs> they didn't have a clue. That was, the, that was yeah. part of the problem. On Wednesday night. And, of course, FC Cincinnati now is run by friend of the show, Alan Koch. Former Whitecaps 2 head coach, former SFU clan head coach. And he was cock-a-hoop about that victory. So I got a chance to speak to him during the week. So let's hear now... From Alan Koch. And we call this land South Africa, the Cape of Hope to the Northern Star, from the hope and peace will never be part. We're joined now by Alan Koch, the former head coach of WFC2, now head coach of FC Cincinnati. Good to speak to you again, Alan. And we'll we'll get this out of the way right away. Fantastic win on Wednesday night for FC Cincinnati against Columbus Crew. With, with everything that, that you've been through in your managerial career, would you look at that as being probably the biggest win that, you, that you've had so far? I don't know. I've been asked by a couple of people uh, since the game. Um, I think in terms of the crowd we played in front of, definitely playing in front of 30,000 fans was, was pretty special and I think we're very, very lucky in Cincinnati. We normally play in front of 20 fans for, for most of our league games, but obviously 30,000 was, was very, very special. If I was to compare it, uh, I loved my time at SFU and, and going to back-to-back Final Fours was obviously an amazing experience, and to do that with the only Canadian team in the NCAA was very, very special, and I'll always cherish that. But then 
what we've built with Whitecaps uh, too over the last few years and culminating obviously with taking such a young group to the Western Conference final was was amazing too. So it's difficult to, to compare all of them. Um, but in terms of the actual crowd was there, this was definitely by far the, the most impressive. Yeah, it was an amazing atmosphere. Watched the stream last night, and I mean, I've I've seen a lot of the Cincinnati games, and it, it just seems an amazing venue, and it seems to be a true soccer city, which I think has probably surprised a lot of people. Uh, it's it's unbelievable, to be honest. Having come come here from Vancouver and come from the Whitecaps, where I think we have a great football culture in Vancouver, and obviously the Whitecaps have been around as a club for many many years to to come join. A professional soccer club that's in its second year of existence and, and see what's happening in the city is, is mind-blowing. Everywhere you go, people in the city are full embrace of the club. Uh, and it says a lot about the people of Cincinnati. People here are coming together to support causes and they've obviously uh, jumped together to, to come support this club and uh, we're having a, having a lot of fun together along this journey. The, the closing minutes of the game against Columbus... In stoppage time, where they had that two chances, the one with John and the one with Higuain, what was going through your mind at that point? <laughs> uh, hang on. Uh, no, it was, uh, I think, the the one where they slipped it behind the back four. I think, I can't remember who it was who lunged uh, at that one. I, I think, think that was that John. Was uh, there were fans literally right behind our bench, and they were like, oh, my God. And I was like, yeah, you're right, oh, my God. That was pretty darn close. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty nerve-wracking. But I kind of go into a almost a bit of a numb numb state in the last 10, 15 minutes of games where you're just focusing on what you have to do. I don't really get caught up into too much of the emotion. You're, you're waiting for that final whistle, of course, but uh, there's no point in getting too excited because anything can happen. And just to, to go back a little bit then, when, when it was announced in December that you were leaving Whitecaps to, to, to head to Cincinnati, it, it came as a surprise for a lot of people, but... It was obvious, at least to me, that you were going to a very ambitious club, and I've known you for years, and you're a very ambitious person. What was behind your thinking initially of going there? Because initially it was as an assistant coach and director of scouting. Uh, it was it was twofold. I obviously analyse, as a coach, you analyse things to depth, and, and obviously in my own personal career, I have to analyse things and reflect and make sure we're heading in the right direction, and I thoroughly enjoyed my time. The Whitecaps, obviously, a helping call on the first team with with the draft was a lot of fun. Uh, but then I really felt in the two years with Whitecaps, too, uh, we, we took a project upon ourselves and, and really squeezed everything we could uh, out of that group. And it culminated with us making a conference final with, with such a young group and then having four of those players push on and sign first team deal, which was amazing. I was incredibly proud of the guys. Um, so it almost felt like we kind of got to the end of that project uh, and you never really get to the end in this business because there's always something more you could do but I was open to other opportunities and I think the success we had there uh, a lot of people came forth and were interested um, but uh, I came out to Cincinnati and came and looked at the club uh, came to the stadium looked at the club where they want to go uh, moving into the MLS and uh, there are amazing ambitions here with this club and some fantastic people that are working for the club and I was fully excited about coming here and wearing multiple hats to, to start off with but then obviously in pre-season the club made a change and uh, I was thrust into the head coach position which thankfully I've been a head coach a, a lot in my career had to jump into the position and uh, we've dealt with some adversity we've, we've been up and down and I think we're 
I think we're eighth in the table uh, right now, but there's a lot yeah. of congestion in the Eastern Conference. Um, so we've had some great results, and then we've had some disappointing moments too, but we're definitely building something, uh, and I've been asked to come in and build something on the pitch, but also help the club build its infrastructure as it grows. And, uh, we're definitely working very, very hard on both fronts. And the, the second year you, you had with the Whitecaps in particular, the, the turnaround in the team, we spoke a lot about it last season. I mean, when you look at the run that you had with SFU to the Final Four and then the run with this team to to the conference final, is it hard to say which one gave you the most pleasure? Uh, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, it's so hard to compare. Um, they were both amazing experiences. Those were experiences where you, you had a certain amount of resources um, you brought players and you you thought you could work with and you believed in and you squeezed every single thing you could out of those players. And uh, I was very, very fortunate to to work with some amazing players at, at SFU and with the Whitecaps. They were not only great players, but great people too. And I think we all worked very, very hard together to put the right culture uh, in place in, at both teams. Uh, and I think that's a big part of why we had success in, in both places. Uh, talking of resources, you're now at a club that... I guess it's a unique position for you, really, because with SFU and with with the Caps, you weren't really given a budget to go out and like make transfer deals and, and stuff like that. Have you found that refreshing, or have you found it challenging? Uh, it's been fun. It's interesting. We don't we don't have the biggest uh, budget in the league uh, by any means, but we have a decent sized budget by USL standards. Obviously, coming in as uh, the assistant initially, and only made the change in, in February, so. When you get thrust into a head coaching position uh, that late, you you really are contractually bound to the players that you have in the group. Uh, and thankfully, we have a lot of good, talented players. But like any coach, we all have our own personal styles and what types of players uh, that we like to, to work with. So uh, it's definitely a work in progress. Um, we're embracing working with the group and trying to get the most out of every player. Uh, but there are changes that we we know we need to make. That we've made a few as we move forward and um, there's obviously changes we'd still like to make, uh, but uh, it takes time to to implement the style that you'd like to play and, and make sure you have the players that fit that system. So we're, we're heading in the right direction, uh, but it is going to take some time to, to get exactly where we know we need to want to go. Yeah, I, I, when you took the job on, I, I thought it's so similar in a way to you taking on the Whitecaps too because you're going into a role really late just before the, the season started. So it's, you've not really had a chance to stamp your own authority on the team yet. And as you say, it's been a mixed start to the year league-wise, but with a game like the Columbus win, is that something that you see as possibly turning the corner now and, and just giving this team a lot more belief? Yeah, definitely. I think it's something we spoke about with our group already and said, you know, we can use this as a catalyst. Uh, we have absolute belief we can beat anybody. If you can go beat the Columbus crew and MLS team that played all of their top players, they played their big-time players against us. Yeah. And you can go out and get a, get a result like we did. Uh, well then we should believe in ourselves and have confidence that we can get results in every USL game we play. Um, so it's definitely something that we'll use as a group to feed off and, and channel energies in a positive way to to hopefully start to put a string of victories to, together in place. Uh, we went to one good run a few weeks ago. We won four games uh, in a row. Uh, but uh, we need to get back to that sort of form back in league play. Uh, I think the challenge when you have a great cup run is now trying to manage uh, fixture congestion. Yeah. Uh, we, we have a decent-sized group, but to play all these top teams uh, in the Cup and then balancing it with really important league games is not that easy. But uh, no, it's a challenge we'll, we'll gladly embrace. We get to host the Chicago Fire in the next round, and hopefully we'll see uh, Mr. Schweinsteiger on our pitch. 
yeah, that must be quite a, a surreal experience to go from playing with a lot of young guys and then you're you're facing these top, top teams. I mean, the, the USL actually in the East, the last two seasons from watching it, it did seem that the Eastern Conference, it was a much stronger conference and there's a lot of standalone teams in there. Have you noticed a difference in quality between, say, the last two seasons in the West and, and what you're facing now? I, I hate to say it, and I can only speak about this year, but the Eastern Conference this year is uh, far more challenging and far more difficult week in and week out than the Western yeah. Conference was in the last two years. And there's, I think there's less two teams uh, in yeah. the East. There's more standalone teams, so then every club in the league has the pressure to go out and win and try to get three points in every game, uh, where obviously two teams uh, have different mandates. Some of them purely to develop. Uh, some of them, as we've seen, are trying to win games, and then some are trying to be a bit of a hybrid of, of both avenues. But in the East, because you play more standalone teams, uh, it definitely is more challenging week in and week out from that perspective. And of course, the big thing hanging over the club just now is the possibility of a, an MLS team. And the stadium things came out this week with the, the one in Newport seeming to be the one that, that the club favoured. I mean, they looked amazing renderings. Just p- what's your thoughts on what you've seen of the, the potential stadium? The stadium's unbelievable. Like, I've even seen more pictures and more details and that's been exposed to the public and it's uh, state-of-the-art. It's an unbelievable place to go play football. So hopefully that'll come to fruition. Uh, I think in terms of sites, I have to be quite a non-political <laughs> yeah. from that perspective because everyone in this community has different perspectives. The one in Newport is over the river, so it's not technically in Cincinnati. Uh, but I think from a, a coaching perspective, at the end of the day, the most important thing for Cincinnati is to get into MLS. Uh, and to be quite frank, uh, it's really not that important where they put the stadium as long as it's in the greater greater Cincinnati area and, and this club can push on to the MLS. Yeah, I mean, just the last couple of things... The, the MLS thing, it, it looks a club that's ready for MLS. I mean, we saw that with Sacramento out here in the West. They're a club that that should be in MLS with, with what they're doing. Cincinnati is the same. Is it? Does it feel like you're kind of just biding your time until you get into there? And is it hard to to put all the chat of, of MLS to, to the back burner and just focus on, on the day job in USL? Uh, it's not that challenging. I think our players and our coaches and all our staff that work with the team day in and day out are very, very aware that we're we're a USL club right now uh, and we're focusing on, on what we have to do. But in all of our roles, mine included, we, we do have work uh, that we have to put in in terms of the process and in terms of getting us into the MLS. So we're definitely aware of it and we have work to do with it. But our focus has to be on where we are right now. I personally have a lot of respect, obviously, for the USL having coached for the last few years. Yeah. So. We're embracing all the challenges where we are right now. Uh, I think we know where we'd like to go as a club. Uh, and having just come from the Whitecaps in the MLS, uh, in so many different ways, this club here, FC Cincinnati, is so ready for the MLS. How the fans uh, get behind this club and, and how people within the organization are working on things, it's been very, very impressive uh, in the last few months. What would you say has been your biggest challenge then coming into this role? Like as head coach, not so much when you initially went there. What, what, what's been the biggest challenge that you think you've faced so far? Uh, it's interesting because the job here is very similar to what I was doing at the Whitecaps, uh, other than uh, here you have, you're the sole decision maker in terms of who yeah. plays in minutes. And not that one is better than the other, but obviously when I was at the Whitecaps, so I almost worked with Robbo on a daily basis as to who was going to play, who shouldn't play, and, and how we manage minutes and 
do we give the first team players opportunities or do we bring up the guys from the academy uh, or do we play the Whitecaps two players? So they were both very, very different types of challenges. When you're with an organization like the Whitecaps and my role as the head coach of the two team, uh, you have to work with a lot of people on your day-to-day decisions. Uh, I think here from a technical perspective with FC Cincinnati, uh, I'm really the person that has to make all those technical decisions. So uh, that in itself has been different. I wouldn't say it's any more of a challenge. It's just a different type of challenge. And you've been a BC boy for a, a long, long time. You've been at SFU, you've been at the Whitecaps, you've lived here, worked here. What's it like living in the States, in Ohio? You, you seem like, following you on Twitter, you seem to have a, a great time. There's the zoo, There's seems a, a wonderful city to, to live in. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Uh, I think being a, I'm a proud Canadian now, that's for sure. Uh, Vancouver is, uh, it's my home. Um, I've been in and out of Vancouver since 1996. Um, yeah. I'm also a proud South, South African, of course, it's where I was born and, and raised. Um, but coming to Cincinnati has been a whole different environment. There's no ocean here and there's no mountains, um, but there are some nice rolling hills and um, some beautiful places in the city to get out and go see. Uh, I, I love the diversity of Vancouver and I love the diversity of Cincinnati too. There's a lot of different people from different walks of life here. It's, it's just great to be part of a community. Vancouver, obviously, as a city, has a great community, but so does Cincinnati. And I think the big, beautiful part of this profession is it takes us to so many different places. I, I've been lucky to have either played or coached in six different countries, uh, and every one has just been different. There's no one that's better or worse than, than any other. So, so being in a place like Cincinnati, other than I think all I knew before I came here was WKRP in Cincinnati from many, many years <laughs> yep, ago. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I've slowly learned a lot more about the city, and it's a nice place to live, that's for sure. That's great. Thank you so much for your time today, Alan. Wish you all the best at FC Cincinnati this season, beyond, and also good luck in the US Open Cup. It would be great to see you knock off another MLS team and hopefully have a good run to the final. Awesome. Thanks so much, Michael. I appreciate it. That's great. Thanks, Alan. Whatever became of me I'm living on the air in Cincinnati Cincinnati WKRP So good a theme that we just had to play it again but Alan Koch there talking about all things Whitecaps 2 and FC Cincinnati And it was really great to catch up with him again A lot of time for Rich Fagan, known for a couple of years But Alan may go way back, five, six years to his clan days and uh, I miss him being around and, and SFU and clan days oh yeah SFU clan days Let, let's stress that SFU clan days <laughs> before we get into some serious trouble there but he he's a he's a good coach he's an ambitious coach and he, he's landed at an ambitious club obviously there's going to be a lot of pressure on him when you go to a club like that and they have had a mixed start to the season but they've started to turn things around and if they can get a cup run they've got Chicago Fire Knicks Schweinsteiger may be taking the pitch uh, against Cincinnati there, but the crowds that they're drawn they had over 70,000 fans for their games in the past week. It's pretty incredible. It shows that people in the, that community want want football at a high level, and so it's really encouraging. And also might show MLS that maybe they made a mistake and picked the wrong city in Ohio. Yeah. 
Well, that's uh, I mean, Colum- Columbus is the, how Columbus is a part of MLS is a bit of like a, an ongoing joke for yeah. over twenty years. I mean, Cincinnati. No, are, offen- no offense to the community there, but like, yeah, well, they, they haven't supported it. You could kind of say that about Dallas as well. They struggle to draw the fans, even, right. when, Dallas, even when they're winning the country. But, but they're also in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, the, no, the location of the stadium is the off. location of the stadium is off, but the the community in terms of their the TV value or whatever is there. Columbus is not. You're not, you're, you're, there's no, it's it's not good in that sense, and it's not good in the stadium. But I mean, Cincinnati is clearly going to be a future MLS town. They're they're courting that just now. Sacramento, the other big USL team that that's looking to to get into MLS, and at some point, it is going to reach saturation point. If Don Garber sticks to him not going past 28 teams, although <laughs> there's he, no chance. he was sticking that he wasn't no going chance. past 20 and then 24 and then 28. No but chance. At some point, and I hate the idea of this, but it does make sense. If you've got these emerging markets coming through, you do have to look at some of the existing markets and say, do you keep a a first level MLS team in those markets? The pyramid scheme, scheme of like, you know, everyone's paying the more money and whatever. Yeah. Like, it's it's going to keep going as long as people are willing to pay those. $150 million, I think. I think it's, it's called a Ponzi about. scheme. Well, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's $150 million they're talking about yeah. just now. So who knows what it's going to be. But but, but remember, these are, they, they lose money. Yeah, <laughs> of course. And we'll be doing our Kickstarter to, to raise the $200 million expansion fee to, to get our own team into MLS somewhere down the line. So chip into that why every you, little counts. Why would you do that when you can get into the Canadian League? I just want to raise two hundred million. Oh, okay, yeah, that that's quite a challenge. Whether I then disappear <laughs> and the team <laughs> doesn't Brazil. materialize, Brazil is a good. Country. It's like, hey, look at my new Brazilian team. Look at my Brazilian. <laughs> Actually, don't look at my Brazilian. Just oh man, put that up there. <clears throat> anyway, so for this final part of the podcast, we're going to turn our attention to. A fun little way to end the show because we've got wavelength coming up and a fun chat. What what more could you want after the difficult week than a little bit of fun? I'm I'm assuming this is fun because when I read this, I was like, surely this cannot be serious. But if anyone hasn't seen this, IFAB, which has nothing to do with the Beatles, they're a governing group of football made up of members from Scotland, England, Ireland and Wales. So obviously English people don't really know much about football, so they're trying to change the rules. And they brought out a document this week for discussion, and it certainly generated a lot of discussion about some of the changes they would like to see to the game of football. doesn't matter that we've had association football rules for 150 years, they want to change some of them. Now, I'm being a little bit cynical here, but some of the rules do make a lot of sense. Yeah, they're not all bad. (laughs) Some of them do make a lot of sense. Some of them, it's a bit of a head-scratcher, and you do have to feel that Money, TV revenue, advertising, everything like that's behind them. We've all had a chance to look over it, and we'll read some tweets from from listeners that we've had as well. But what was your thoughts when when you saw this? I know that they're they're explicit in this, and they're you know at least the one article that we were sharing on social media. But a number of the things that they're trying to achieve can really be done by the correct, accurate enforcement of some of the the laws of the game as they currently exist yeah and they they mentioned that because if you read the uh, articles themselves um a lot of the people are uh not mentioning that that they they have like levels 
They're saying that this can be done right away. This is for yeah. experimentation. This could be for discussion. So they're not even saying everything's, you know, you should do all these. Yeah. And um, uh, they mentioned, like, uh, like the, uh, for example, the time. Yeah. Time wasting. It, they say that they should enforce that more strictly and say when, uh, like, say, for example, when the goalie has the ball in his hand, enforce the six-second rule. Um, when the ball goes well, for substitution, as soon as the ball, oh, the whistle goes for substitution, add every minute or second that that person's off and, yeah. and then round it up well, or round it down. The six seconds with the keeper. It sounds like they just want the London 2012, you know, women's yeah. rules for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the big thing which a lot of folk are talking about is they are looking at changing from two 45-minute halves. And remember, this is just all open for discussion, but two 45-minute halves to two 30-minute halves but the clock will stop, so you'll actually see 60 minutes of guaranteed football action as opposed to just now where there's been various kind of studies done and you're you're seeing less than a 60-minute game of action in a normal game with the ball being out, stoppages, subs, injuries, etc. And again, that's, to me, one of the... Uh, they're, they're worried about the amount of football that's actually being played. Fair enough. If that's your concern, yeah. then then actually imp- actually have referees do what some of the laws in laws of the game already indicate for them to do. So, you know, Steve, you mentioned there, like, okay, keep track of extra time when certain things happen. You know, they talk, I think, talk about, you know, when a penalty is given, you know, stop the, you know, st- the referee stops his, because he has a watch where he's, he's keeping track of time. Yeah. Stop it when it's given until it's actually taken. It's taken, yeah. Like, there's, there's, so there's ways, so if you're worried about. And the goal from the goal being scored. Right. To right to kickoff. Oh. So you, the people let them celebrate as much as they yeah. want. And then you don't have to worry about yellow so, cards for that. To, well, no, that's more, that's, there's different reasons for yellow cards. So that be, that time is one of them. Um, or it can be one of them. But, uh, no, like, if they just enforce some of those things. It would be it would be fine. I one of the like for me one of the things that I appreciated when I came to discover the game of association football was this the was the running clock and was the the control or the in, uh, influence or the ability for the the match official to decide how much you know okay we played but we missed part okay we're gonna play more like I, I I like that human element I know we're taking other human elements out of the refereeing's job with, yeah. with with var and stuff in the near future in some parts of the world but a lot of these things to me it's kind of like no if you want if you were concerned about the amount of playing time then there's other ways to make sure we see closer to 45 minutes of actual football yeah and the thing is you you don't even because right now the 45 minutes of you know two halves and then running clock and everything you know it's two hours long. You don't have to worry about it going to like two and a half, like other sports, two and a half yeah. hours, three hours because of all the stoppages yeah. in play. So I, I don't, I, for TV-wise, that might actually be a bad thing because I don't think they're going to take commercials for the few seconds that that ball's out of bounds or anything. Look at the CFL clock. where the final 30 seconds of a game can last five or ten minutes. Oh, Wait, you that. watch the CFL? No. I love the CFL. No, not oh, okay. the CFL, the basketball. If you ever watch basketball, oh, yeah. like uh, um, uh, college basketball or anything like that, that last uh, minute can be like uh, five, six minutes. So, yeah, I, I think the running time is fine. Keep it that I, way enjoy, I enjoy the running time. And I'd rather see I'd rather see 10 minutes of extra time because there was 10, or sorry, yeah. 10 minutes of time added on because 10 minutes was wasted. I'd, I'd personally rather see that, which TV people won't want because then you'll well, – Oh, yeah, because what, then you're overrunning. Right. But, but, but here's the problem. In North America, uh, okay, at least in Canada – I, the states, I think, is mostly better. 
a broadcast for a football match should be no less than a hundred. Uh, sorry, no less than a hundred or a hundred and fifty minutes. Yeah. It should be no less than two and a half hours, because you should have a bit pregame and you should have a bit postgame. Right now they squeeze the right pregame and they yeah. squeeze the so, postgame into. Right nothing. now, if you get the game to start on time on the TV, yeah. it's a bit of a miracle. Right. You usually join about seven. Three hours, three full hours, is actually be the best for a broadcast of a football match. Yeah. One of the rules I really like um, uh, is the one that uh, if somebody does a handball. On the goal line, it's an automatic goal. For example, uh, you take go Barry back to the game uh, and with the Suarez. World Cup, yeah, Suarez, Suarez in yeah. Ghana, and that, that they wouldn't even they missed the free, yeah. a penalty kick, yeah, and and, I, I and you see Suarez cheering on the I background. I don't fault him for yeah. that because it's like he kept his team in the tournament and they went through. So as much as it's like uh, before they lost to the Germans, yeah, yeah. Two, and this, two teams you don't know who to root for. There. And this was the uh, two World Cups before he bit somebody. So Yeah, this is nothing about biting. No, nothing about biting. Yeah. No, I didn't see anything about biting. I mean, I thought this would be wild, sort of widely slammed, but it's actually had quite a good reaction from a lot of people. But not holistic. There's people who yes. like parts of it. Yeah. And, and, and I'm the, a traditionalist, and, and I don't like change for change's sake. I don't like the offside rule. And I kind of wouldn't mind getting rid of the offside rule because that, that would make games more wide open. What do but, you guys think about zonal life offside? It's confusing enough no. for referees just now. But, but you have but an yeah. additional line or something no, like that. I'm okay with offside. Okay. I just think it'd be, it would make it a bit more exciting. So I'm not total traditional. How about halftime whistle and full-time whistle uh, uh, when the ball's been kicked out so, of place? Well, so I, so I like that. But If you got rid of offsides, you would have a... You would have a striker who sorry. You would have a striker who's al- always on the keeper. Cherry yeah, picking, which yeah. is how I played when I was a lad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying to carve a career out for myself still. <laughs> In the VMSL, yeah, I was yeah. a poacher. I, I was kind of think Canadian Premier League. Oh, there you go. Um, no, I, that, I would not like that. How about halftime whistle? The ball has to be kicked out of play. In I order like for the whistle that to go. because they've got it in rugby union, and it makes it exciting because oh, yeah. the the team has to. The, the opposing team, like Scotland played Australia at the weekend, and it was those final seconds, it was past the 80-minute mark, Australia still had the ball, and if they scored, they were going to win it. And just the tension that that, that provides, because it's like they know as soon as the ball goes out, it's over. So they just threw everything at Scotland. Scotland threw everything back at them. I think it would make it a very dramatic ending to games. I don't. I don't mind that. It has to, the game has to end on it, like a, you know the ball going out or a, you know an infraction. Uh, I, I would be I would be okay with that. I, I sometimes I don't like how it seems. It's not a it's not a rule or whatever. I I don't always like how they often wait for like a goal kick and they whistle while it's in the air. Yeah. I don't enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, how about the self passing no, corner kick? No. I don't like that. That's either. one I hate. That sounds so stupid. <laughs> it's like, yeah, let's take a corner to ourselves or let's take a free kick yeah. to ourselves or a goal kick. It's I like, think FIFA, actually FIFA. I think I could be wrong. But they just, uh, I don't know if they changed or highlighted or augmented a rule because team, I think someone did this professionally. This is like, this is something kids do, right? Where you like, you go to take a corner kick and like one guy goes and like you call for a guy, like who's supposed to take the corner kick and the, and the person, as you switch, that person kind of dr- just rolls the ball yeah. and the next guy comes and picks up and then runs in and has, yeah. you know, a shot of goal or an It's clever. Know. Yeah. But I think, I thought, I thought they augmented the rule so you can't do that anymore. Like a year can. or two ago or something. There was one I know that you took a bit of umbrage at, Zach, which was the fact that if a penalty is taken and the keeper oh. saves it, then the play's dead. There's no chance for a rebound, which is ridiculous. A- absolutely ridiculous. You want to take away some 
goal scoring opportunities. A, re- yeah, a rebounder yeah. off the cross. How will like, Freddie Montero score? <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't see that happening. I can't see them taking away some potential prime goal scoring opportunities in matches. What's your thoughts on Abba? Yeah, I like the ABBA. Actually, the ABBA one is probably the most one of the ones that stood out to me as like, oh, that would be interesting just to see, just just something different. Even if they tried it for uh, you know a couple tournaments and we saw what it was like, and, and we're not talking about the Swedish band, obviously. But would, would it make you go, Mamma Mia? <laughs> <laughs> would you take a chance on me? So what Michael is talking about, of course, is uh, a new way of doing the penalty kick shootout, so yeah. that the team A goes and then team B goes twice. Yeah. And then team A. It's goes. almost like a serpentine. Yeah. You go uh, order kind of thing. So it's the first team, two teams, and then two kicks, and then two kicks. It, that's one of the ones I'm quite on the fence on. I I don't know. It just. It, I think it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. Or you put it in some uh, Confederations Cup or yeah. U20 or. You it could know. be really confusing and it could kill some of the drama because I, I love penalty shootouts, not when my team's involved. East Fife lost seven Scottish first round League Cup games on penalty shootouts. Seven straight. It was a record. I wrote an article about it for when Saturday comes. Never seen anything like it. Well, at least you knew what was going to happen. Yeah, it just turned up after 120 minutes. Yeah. I didn't have to bother with the whole game. Having a German background, like, yeah, I always know what's going to happen in the penalties. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially at, at, at the Yeah, at the national level. Let, let's read some tweets. Uh, Christina on Twitter, at Mudcree, she says that if they're going to be cutting the games down to 60 minutes, she'd like a reduction on her season ticket prices. <laughs> Maybe 40% less. Uh, Jay San, at Ratigan Khan, says he doesn't see it helping very much, and if anything, it's likely to, to wreck the game. Uh, White Cap Scarf says no, he's all for tradition. He doesn't want to wreck the game. If they want to, they can make PKs like the old MLS style. Oh, no. Or NASL, I think. He means that. Or did MLS have that? Uh, MLS had some crazy shooters at the beginning, I ah. think. But no. No, no to that. Uh, Patrick Stevens at Dedan, D-E-D-A-G-N. I have no idea how to pronounce that. It's late. A clearer and more consistent definition of handball, which is one of them. Yes, please, he says. It's... Okay, but what do you? What, it does. What do we want? How, uh, how I don't much know. clearer? It's like well, just now it's like you're like oh, is it a hand ball to hand? But that's that's pretty defined in the laws of the game. But then you can analyze it as well. It's like was that ball to hand? Was there any motion? And that's and what the referee's got. Is, that's what the referee much. has to decide. Yeah. Chris Corrigan also says he likes the idea of letting a player do whatever they want on a on a free kick. He likes that, mm. like dribble pass, etc. Yeah, not a fan. Yeah, you know what's going to happen with that if you do that. You're gonna have a guy who gets fouled at when they have numbers. When they have the numbers, so let's say let's say a four on two or something. He's gonna get fouled by one of the players. One of the players is gonna run and grab the ball and go right away. And it's either gonna it's gonna cause some dangerous tackles, uh, and or some you know some kind of like chaotic attacking strategies that I don't think are you're for the best of, of the game. You're kind of selling me on it now. Murray Lynn actually makes a point that you made, Steve, that hockey is 60 minutes and it takes three hours to watch a game. Yeah, exactly. Whereas soccer is 62. Murray's also indifferent about one of the other rules, which is substituted players can leave the pitch just wherever they want. I quite like that. To well, save that, players that's, going that's, to the other touchline no, okay. and then no, no, slowly trotting over. But that's, again, a thing that is in with, currently within the control of the referee. If the referee feels that a player is taking a, 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 too long to leave the to leave the field through the middle of the field, through the halfway line as they're supposed to, they can add time on for that. 
So, sure, add clarity to that. Say, okay, anytime you feel a player's wasting time, add 30 seconds. Yeah. Add I say, a minute. I say have uh, have all the players with the harnesses at the beginning of the game and just bring lines down and just hook them to the <laughs> harness and take them away when the substitution happens. Just the last couple here from Murray Lynn. He, he's got another idea as well, which is, and I quite like this idea actually, if a penalty is about to get given, you let the play continue just to see, for a few seconds to see what happens. Because there has been occasions... Referees put it to a spot, the ball's loose, and then someone buries it. Split second of him blowing the whistle. So I, I'd be, I wouldn't mind allowing a little bit of play for a few seconds after a PK. After uh, after a PK, I think play should go on. One one of the things I think that fo- fo- association football fails at compared to her, let's call it birth sibling, is I really really enjoy, and I don't watch a lot of it, so I'm not. I'm not a great maybe person to talk about the details or intricacies of it, but I really enjoy uh, how referees deal with advantage in rugby. Like they they, yeah. they wait. I like to make the respect. Sure. That I've talked about this uh, before. Respect, the respect for officials and other yeah, referees. Yeah, the refereeing in rugby is so uh, spot on most yeah. of the time. There's rarely a bad so call. So at the Confederations Cup this summer, the only the ref only the captains allowed to talk to the referees. Yes, like but I don't mind as well. Well, that's part of the the, the exactly the rule. Yeah, get an angry David Oustead yelling at the referee. I mean, what what could go wrong? That was there? great with him. Yeah, that was hedges. fantastic. Yeah. Last thing then on this subject from Murray Lynn. Sorry for the rant, he says, but most of this is trapezoid behind the net. No touch icing, stupid. If I wanted rules like this, I would just go watch a bunch of non-competitive, non-athletic hippies and hipsters play ultimate. I'm with you there, Murray. Do you know what he means when he says ultimate? Yeah, frisbee. Oh, okay. It's ridiculous. Even my dog Bailey won't play with a frisbee. So we're nearly at the end of the show, but we always have time for Wavelength. And it's been a difficult week. So we thought we'd maybe end on an upbeat note. A song from perennial favourites of the show, Half Man, Half Biscuit. Wait, it's not a dirge? A dirge? This would be the appropriate show for one of your dirges. I, I will ask you after you hear the song. It's a, it's a traditional story. Man's friend dies, goes to visit his grieving widow, and points out to her, look, he's dead now. He doesn't need a season ticket. This is Half Man, Half Biscuit. Dead men don't need season tickets. Oh, man.
you were going to end the, the show on an upbeat note there. We're all bouncing along to that in the studio there. I was surprised even Zach's like bopping along to that one. <laughs> half Man, Half Biscuit there. Dead Men Don't Need Season Tickets from their 1997 album Voyage to the Bottom of the Road. And you can be sure to know that we'll have more Half Man, Half Biscuit in this section as the weeks go on. That is our 25th wavelength song that we've played this year. Folks said, where are you going to find all these football songs from? Have a lot more to come. So just before we go, just a couple of things we want to mention. want to wish the residency good luck this week at the playoffs in Indiana, the 16s and the 18s. You'll get full coverage on AFTN.ca this week. Also, if you want some live soccer action this weekend, a lot to pick from. WFC 2 at home on Saturday. And then Friday and Sunday, TSS Rovers, Victoria Highlanders. The Juan de Fuca plate is back. And there's a lot to play for. 7 o'clock at Swan Guard on Friday night. 6 o'clock at Swan Guard on Sunday night. Oh, it's double home. Double home. Oh, I've, double I've, home. I've and thought, oh, TSS Rovers undefeated at home. So get along there, guard the Swan, and join the Swan Guardians, who have something a little bit special we hear planned for this Friday night. Should be good. $10 tickets. If you can't get along to the game in action, you can hear myself and Gideon Hill call the game on YouTube. Don't miss that. So just before we go. Oh. Oh, can I get something to Yeah, see? so just two things. Uh, first off, uh, if you are a Whitecap supporter, whether you're a current season ticket holder or not, if you haven't already connected with either the Vancouver Southsiders or Curva Collective on general admission, please reach out and do so. Um, especially if you're someone who would be interested in being part of a unified uh, GA supporter section at BC Place in the future. Um, if that's something that interests you, please contact one of those groups. You can find them on social media all over the place. They'd love to uh, engage with you on that or have conversations with you about that. Secondly, um, uh, we talk about all facets of the Whitecaps organization on a weekly basis, obviously. And often when we talk about the front office, it's usually not usually it's not very positive. Well, not from you. <laughs> well, but um, and we do try and highlight some of the good things they do. 
But I mean, you, you feel that FO stands for something else when you're talking about the front office, I believe. So I just wanted to take a moment just to uh, – a couple of people are moving on from, from the front office uh, this week. Uh, this is their last couple of days. One is uh, a, a person, a woman named Efrat Gal Orr. Apologies if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Uh, Efrat is the director of events. She's served the club for almost 10 years or, or roughly 10 years in uh, very slow roles, but especially with event stuff. Um, she's one of the people who makes everything happen at BC Place. She's someone who's a part of our supporter front office meetings on, a, on, an, ongoing, uh, on an ongoing basis for these last number of years. Uh, and someone who's worked really, really hard at um, trying to make the football club better. Um, so... Yeah, for Efrat, uh, all our, you know, all our best as as you move on to a, a new local opportunity. All the best to you and to to your family for the future. And the other person is uh, someone named, and I always mispronounce her name, uh, named Lisa. I call her Lisa Monica Morai. I think it's probably That's Mo- Amore. <laughs> I think it's Lisa Monica Amore. Oh, anyways, uh, Lisa is uh, someone who has 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 been at the club more than ten years and uh, has worked in. Of uh, various uh, various things, when um, when Curva Collective started, she was one of the people that we connected with in the front office over a number of different uh, supporter related issues, and was really uh, really helpful and uh, someone we, uh, as a movement, always uh, really enjoyed working with and really appreciated uh, how she dealt with us and how she uh, treated that relationship. And even though she wasn't always involved with the supporter stuff, she moved on to being involved with WFC2. She had a she was the directing manager. Yeah, she had a huge role with WFC2. Her last kind of big thing with the with the at the club was with the the new facility. So she helped you know all this a bunch of stuff uh, with getting the new facility built out here at U- UBC. So I also just want to wish uh, Lisa all the, be- the best as well. She has a, a new local opportunity that she's moving on to, and uh, yeah, just wish her and her family all the best. And yeah, to both uh, Lisa and Efrat, thanks so much for your contributions to our football club over this significant period of time. I didn't know our goodbye was going to be longer than the rest of the show, but there yeah. we go. We'll cut this out of the yeah, podcast. Course, yeah, <laughs> no, no point putting this in. So just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. I am at Zachary AM on Twitter, and I'm a part of the movement Curva Collective. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read our stuff away from the numbers on AFTN.ca. Drop us a, an email if you want to get in touch, AFTNCanada at Hotmail.com. We've also launched our Instagram account, so give us a follow on that, at AFTNSoccer, where it won't just be white cap stuff, we're going to just have a general soccer Instagram account. And this podcast is brought to you in conjunction with bcsoccerweb.com, your one-stop site for all your local, national and international news and links. Visit bcsoccerweb.com every morning and get all the news you need to know. And classifieds too. Yes. That is it for this episode of the podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. And mon the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.
Yeah, but 